0: I Final words, story time, episode 114 to be precise. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins with you. It's not on the weekend because the weekend was full of some other things that had to be done, but here it is. It may be early in a week, but it's ahead of a test match. The test summer is about to start in Australia. I'm about to join you in Perth, Adam, and we're about to uh, get on the merry-go-round again.
1: We are, yes, since the last time we've convened. We've been busy boys doing other things, including meeting um, our producer DC for meal. I say meeting, we have met him before, but we took him out for, for dinner <laughs> when we were in Melbourne on Friday night, which was a, a nice thing to do. And uh, in speaking of our final week community, unbeknownst to me, I spoke to John O'Halen at some length today. Uh, I was hosting with Bright, uh, an SCM program. We were calling it Colo and Baz's uh, Test Match Hype Special or something like that. And um, the whole idea being to pump up the, mm. you know, the test series that's ahead of us between Australia and the West Indies and as part of that, I was doing a quiz at the end, which worked pretty well. We did a similar thing right. during the T20 World Cup. And Jono from Sydney called up, and I didn't think much of that. But Jono from Sydney took us from question four all the way to question nine. And he was dominating. He was getting through the questions like they weren't even difficult at all. <laughs> um, and they kind of were. They, these, weren't, these weren't half follies. Uh, until he was scuppered by a question about, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll put it to you. Who scored 169 in 145 balls at the Perth Test of 75-76 for the West Indies?
0: Uh, Roy Fredericks.
1: Roy Fredericks. And that, that is where Jono slipped up, but he did splendidly to that point. In hindsight, we probably should have given him the beer we were giving away um, rather than to the person that got the last question. Although it took quite a few people to get to the answer of what was the score when Dennis Lilly knocked over Viv Richards' final ball of the day in the 81 Boxing Day Test. Do you want to have a go at that as well? Four for eight, something like that. Four for ten, oh. very close. You would have been, bah, bah, yeah. and, and would have gone to the next caller. But um, yeah, that, that was fun to hear, John Owen. He sent me a DM after and said that, well, he cited story time is part of the reason why that went so well for him today, so maybe there is some use in what we're doing after all. <laughs>
0: well done. Um, I'm glad that
1: you can become a quizmaster. I'm master. glad that he
0: went subterfuge as well. Didn't let on. He was just 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 quietly Jono. There there were there are yes. many Jonos in Sydney, um, and it could be any one of them. The numbers we've got to get onto today. Before we do that, we should uh, have a word for the Lord's Taverners. This is just a. Uh, a little basic, simple thing that we've been doing because we've been working with Lord's tabs for a while to try to help them in the great charity work that they do in the UK and around the world as well. Uh, and what they're trying to do at the moment is not get donations from anybody, but just get people to sign up to their mailing list so that you know what's going on because... The tabs do lots of different kinds of things. Some of those activities might be interesting to people, others might not, and they just want people to, to know what's going on. So it's a no-obligation sort of thing, um, but it's just to stay informed with a group of very good cricket people doing good cricket things.
1: That sounds like when I used to be a telemarketer as an 18-year-old doing um non-oblig- non-obligation vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. checks. Uh, we've got someone in your area tomorrow doing non-obligation checks. We'll just come in and do a maintenance check of your vacuum cleaner and then try and flog you on later in the day. Um, this isn't that, though. This is, um, as you described, Jeff. the Lord's Tabs, great members of our cricketing community helping with uh, young people with disabilities um, in deprived areas as well, trying to give them the, the gift that is cricket, the gift that is sport um, through the activities they run in their local communities and programs that support some of of the most marginalised and at-risk people in the UK. Um, they do great things. I've been involved with the TABS for a number of years, so I've you, so as the final word. And if you do it now, don't wait till the end of the show. The link is in the show notes, but simply put, if you're listening to it, bit.ly forward slash TABS sign up. Couldn't be more straightforward. That's the shortened link for you. The longer link will be in the notes. And um, yeah, it's all about trying to raise awareness of what they're doing at the moment. And we'd love to have a, a bigger final word presence with the Lord's Tabs throughout the course of 2023, which is starting sooner than then, then you might think we're only a a month and a bit away from the new oh year
0: oh god oh god it's coming all right well at least there'll be a new year's special there's there's our final word new year's eve uh, look back at the year and well it's been a busy one but this will be a busy show, so let's get stuck into it with a little bit of n- 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 nerd pledge. Nerd pledge, it's a game that we play with all of the people who listen to this show. Here is how it works. Some people help us fund this program by sending in contributions, not in a normal denomination of currency, but a very specific one. And sometimes a, a more exotic and unusual currency. Whatever they choose, however they choose to send it, there is a number. And the number relates to cricket, and we have no idea... ...what the relationship is. Our job is to figure it out. For instance, first cab off the rank this week, Peter Roberts. We've been sweating over this one for quite a few weeks... ...waiting to hear back, uh, waiting to to try to get some sort of clue... to, ...to crack this open. Because he sent through 76 Swedish krona... ...originally saying that there was a clue in the currency... And that in keeping with a tradition among many final nerds, as some of our listeners call themselves, it nods to the first test match I ever attended. Well, we had a go around the houses. Mm -hmm. We looked at things. We tried to look at, uh, see if there was something involving Andrew Simons because uh, part of his story was that apparently he had a Swedish heritage or Scandinavian heritage among his birth parents. Before he was adopted, we couldn't find anything in that story. We asked Peter for a bit more help. He came back and said it refers to a score made by the current coach of the Sweden men's team. Well, that wouldn't help everybody, but that did help us quite a bit because uh, I I think we've we've covered this coaching gig before.
1: We have a little bit, so thank you, Peter, for getting back to us. And um, Yes, given uh, how ill I've been and continue to be through the summer, it feels like I've been in sort of... The depths of a Swedish winter, Um, as you can probably tell, my voice is going yet again for the fifth time, and I've been carrying a horrible cold around with me. But such is life when you work in this world that we work in and keep travelling and keep mixing with people and keep treating our, our voices with contempt. Anyway, the coach of the Swedish men's team... None other than John T. Rhodes. He'll actually be out in Australia with us soon. He's doing commentary uh, for the uh, Australia-South Africa test matches. So we'll see him in a couple of weeks in Brisbane and uh, looking forward to hearing more of his stories. But yeah, what a test to be your first if you're Peter. Um, it, it is the Australia-South Africa test match at Sydney in 1994 that I'm sure he's referring to. Remembering that like this was an historic series because it was the first for South Africa back in Australia after readmission. And the Melbourne test the previous week was a complete... Shock up because of the rain that fell for I think three of the five days from memory. So they rock up at Sydney for the New Year's Test match and South Africa win the toss and bat, but it's Australia that do the business. Um, the visitors are all out for 169, and this is like peak Warn the flipper that you'll often see on on YouTube um, with Cullen and Warn where he sets him up perfectly and, and like Richie Benno explains mm. it so well. Uh, that's this day there with Ian Chapel too on, on lead comms and only Gary Kirsten and his 67 keeps them in the game really. John T. Rhodes is one of those out leg before wicket to warn who takes seven for 56 on day one of a test um, which again kind of <laughs> speaks to how dominant he was over South Africa throughout the course of 93-94. Michael Slater's quick out of the blocks and, and cracks on on day two and makes 92 and with support from the captain Alan Border, who makes forty nine, and Damian Martin, who we're usually very critical of in in this context, his final Test match for seven years, he makes fifty nine, and they banked two hundred ninety two and, ha- and a and a healthy lead. So happy days for them. South Africa fare better the second time around, even, but that's after Craig McDermott runs through the, the top order. So when jonty walks in, it's four for one hundred and seven, and South Africa are still you know in the red by a decent whack. But with support from Dave Richardson, who makes twenty four, the man who later became the ICC boss, they get to... Um, 239 and set Australia 117 and our number here is um, Jonty Rhodes unbeaten on 76 in that South African second innings and then from where well we, we kind of know the story we pick it up with Hansi Cronier becoming the captain because Kepler Vessels is injured he pulls all the right changes Fani de Villiers, his six wickets and Damien Martin out for six from 106 minutes gruelling minutes in the middle before giving it away to, to Alan Donald and Australia go from 75 for 8 to 100 111 all out and and a five run loss to put South Africa one up in the series. What I didn't know when looking through Joncy's career, I, I there's a reference in Peter's email to goalkeeping and I wasn't quite sure where he was going with that, but there's certainly a reference to hockey and I didn't know this at all that when he was playing cricket for South Africa, he was also playing hockey for South Africa and he was picked for the 96 Olympic games in Atlanta but pulled out to prioritize his cricket but yeah, he could have been one of those rare cricketers who went on to also represent huh. um, his nation in another sport at the Olympic Games. But, yeah, five international centuries across his 11 years at the top level. Always remembered, though, for his fielding at the 92 World Cup and uh, not least that, that run out of Inzamam al Flying through the air a photograph that won all the awards you can win. These days, as you say, coaching Sweden and coaching uh, the Kings Eleven Punjab as an assistant, I'm pretty sure, in the IPL. And, and yes, uh, looking forward to um, spending a bit of time with him in the months that will come this summer.
0: It's curious that he didn't take the opportunity. I suppose there wasn't uh, really a lucrative career in playing hockey for South Africa. And if you wanted to make a living out of your sport, you were better off doing it in cricket. But there aren't that many cricketers, as you say, who would have the opportunity to make themselves Olympians at the same time. It's a little extra burnish to the record.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I suppose that would have been right at the end of the kind of amateur professional era uh, for South African cricket. I mean, I know that even now there's criticism over the – salaries of South African test players. And I suppose he, yeah. he would have been in that in that tough spot of trying to balance his sports and trying to make a living all at the same time. But he was very commercially viable. A piece that Neil Manthorpe wrote, our colleague Manthorpe uh, wrote when he finished playing, said that Rhodes was the first in South African cricket to truly realise his commercial value. Like He was very good at getting out there and promoting brands and, and that kind yeah. of thing. So he was ahead of his time in the field and ahead of his time off the field as well.
0: Very good. Uh, Next up, Jim Robertson. The number is $3.30 in AUD. Okay. This is one of these ones where I've got an answer. I'm not entirely confident it's the right answer, but it could be the right answer depending how you look at it. And I know that there have been a number of stories where, like, a cat gets onto the field and stops a game, you know. We've also had it with dogs. We've had it with pigs potentially. But I thought maybe that's too literal. So... I was trying to pull all the pieces of this clue together 330 which you can interpret on nerd pledge you can interpret 3.30 as it could be 33 it could be 33000 it could be anything that has those numbers in some sort of sequence and it involves a period of stability and I thought maybe this is the captaincy period of Steve War uh, Stephen Roger War if you look up the profile with a d in the middle of the Roger don't forget about that because Flying out of the gates with express pace. Okay, so he starts his captaincy career in 1999 in the West Indies. Walsh, Ambrose, uh, Pedro Collins, Merv Dillon, all bowling quick. And his first test series at home is, or his first test summer at home is when he introduces Brett Lee during the Boxing Day test. And that's very much a Steve pick. He wants the young, quick tearaway in his team. He wants to expose the Indian team to it. And Brett Lee bowls the speed of light, smashes through them, takes five for... And on they go from there. He's a fixture in the Australian team whenever fit from then on. And in between those two series in 1999, or at least matches, the India series doesn't finish till 2000, blah, blah, blah. In between those two series is the visit to Sri Lanka where, uh, in what I think is the most Steve Waugh thing ever, he breaks Jason Gillespie's leg using only his face. And if you you want to sort of summarise the tough nature of Steve Waugh, that's the one to do it. I'm just going to injure you using entirely my face. And he said later that when he was in hospital getting his face patched up, that's when he was thinking about, I might not captain Australia again. You know, what if I don't make it back for the next test match? What if I have to miss the series? What if someone else gets the gig? What if this is it? And he said he thought to himself, did I do the job well enough? Did I do it my way? Did I put my stamp on it? And he thought he hadn't. He thought he'd been too too malleable and too inclined to listen to other people. So... That was the point where he said, bugger it, I'm going to do it my way if I get the opportunity from here on in. And at this stage, he is 33 years old, Jim Robertson's number, 330. Which also is interesting because it's a bit older than you think. Like when, you you know, a relatively new captain, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be taking over at 32, 33 rather than, you know, later 20s. Yeah, on
1: the other side of it, I think if Steve War is always kind of being about 35, yeah. like he had that demeanour. Maybe it was the cat. Mm-hmm. Born 35. And the fact that he played in the mid-80s. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it works out when you, like you say, when you put it together with when he debuted, but it's just interesting in terms of a captain coming into the gig wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't often sure. be doing it that late, I suppose, and, and, and doing it for a longish period of time. So he carries on and then we've got this note in the clue about an extended period of stability. And that is what first made me think of this because at this point, You've got a sequence from the Oval Test of 2001 in the Ashes um, and it's not consecutive but it's in a pretty close space of time. There's a New Zealand visit to Australia, there's a South Africa test in Australia. The Australians go to South Africa and then they play a test against Pakistan in the UAE and across those matches they play the same 11 through nine test matches. The, the, the classic Steve War 11, if you will. The Hayden, Langer, Ponting, Mark War Steve War Damian Martin, Gilchrist... Lee, Warren, Gillespie, McGrath, that 11, which is the second highest number of times in Test history that the same 11 has played. I mean, it tells you a lot about how volatile teams are, but nine times for one eleven is the second most ever. There's a West Indies 11 that played together a few more times than that, um, but not a lot. So yeah. actually having the exact same 11 rollout is, is very infrequent. So that seems to me like the period of stability and i think it extends beyond that because that team with one or two changes plays for quite a few years you know there's a, there's a pretty consistent period where it's most of those players are playing most of the time it's it's a, an extremely consistent one of those one of those times where they say the old line about the team being harder to get out of than into kind of situations yes. is is pretty much the entirety of seafort's captaincy right and then across my memory The only time I remember Steve Waugh missing a test match was the one in the Ashes in 2001 when he does his calf in the third test. He misses the fourth test in Nottingham. The clue said the only interruption in the meantime came from a cat who replaced him in the fourth test match, Simon Katicch. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, he comes back from missing that one test to make 150-odd knot out at the oval, uh, famously does it on one leg when the other calf goes, all the rest of it. And I thought, well, if this is the only test he missed in his captaincy career, then this is a lay-down Miser. Like Like, this, this must be what it is. When I cross-checked that against every test Australia had played during his captaincy career, he actually missed two test matches.
1: Yeah. yeah was the Gilchrist one against the Windies in 2000, yep. 2001. Adelaide it was. Maybe.
0: It was Adelaide, yeah. Fourth test. Because Steve Waugh had a muscle strain in the butt. He, he's, his buttock let him down. <laughs> um, he couldn't rely on it at the last minute. But when he came back in Melbourne, he... He was hurt. He he did indeed put his ass into it when he came back in Melbourne because he was player of the match in the Boxing Day Test. (laughs) Made a big score there as well. So he was pretty good at, at having an impact on the game after missing a Test match. But those are the only two that he misses. And one of them is indeed... Uh, To do with a cat So 57 out of 59 tests During his captaincy reign He plays He's got a top order That barely changes In that time And uh, as per the clue It came to a lovely end Well it did come to a lovely end In a way uh, Because he's He's out there On the last day At the SCG In the India series January 2004 He's shooting for a ton He's sort of Half a chance Of getting a win Um, And when he's Eventually out for 80 He's caught by his old Sparring partner Sachin Tendulkar on the rope at deep mid-wicket, Steve War playing the signature slog sweep that, that just became his shot over a period of time and, and caught by one of the legends of the game in in the deep. So even though he didn't get that win in that test and win that series, I think in some ways it is a lovely end, a, a fair and balanced sort of end to a sporting career. So it doesn't entirely tick every box but it, it it addresses almost all of the bits of that clue the only thing I don't have is what the hell mm-hmm. the, the 330 means unless it means that 33 the point where he's in bed in hospital in candy thinking I'm 33 years old am I going to get another chance at putting my stamp on this team well he did
1: and what a week that generation have had um, they're the greatest generation and they are the most prominent generation um uh, even now uh, well what are we now 10, 15, 20 years beyond all their retirements. Yeah. I suppose that's the, the cachet they have. Uh, thank you, Jim Robertson, 330AUD. Um, Next up, one for me, Jeff. It's a free swing and it's KG. 1978 so 1978 USD now for this I had a look at a few different things I've had a bit of a, a bit of a wander a bit of a meander as I do occasionally a Javid a meander he's a bit nondescript like this yep that's right and, and that's just how I like it so originally I thought I wonder whether there's ever been 19 wickets taken in a first class game apart from Jim Laker there is not he's 19 for 90 so therefore there's no 19 for 78 which is okay I'm, I'm at peace with that what about the year 1978 I thought you know mm-hmm. it's, it's rare that we'll see a number that's a year that, that could have been, you know, something that we would remember. Well, yeah, the, not a lot happened in 78, really. Could have been
0: the song that Billy Corgan wrote first. Um, you know, wasn't as good, <laughs> moved on, had better <laughs> yes, luck the uh, second time it,
1: around. Yeah, yeah, it disarmed you with a smile. Uh, Sonny Gavaskar made uh, 1,099 runs that year, the only player to pass 1,000 in, in Test cricket with five tonnes and an average of 91. For Australia, the highest scorer, I reckon I could ask you this and you could have 12 guesses and wouldn't have got it right. Graham Wood. Um, hmm. May be appropriate, given we're in WA at the moment. Very solid. 750 runs at 41. Um, I suppose solid in, in the circumstances of World Series cricket yeah. and all the rest of it. This was the Botham explosion year with the ball. He takes 66 wickets at 18 with six fifers as a 23-year-old. And kind of goes to the Mike Selvey argument that that first iteration of Ian Botham was the best bowler he's seen, the best all-round package, and Selby's made that argument many times over over the years, over his long career in journalism. Um, that was after Botham's debut the previous English summer against Australia, where he took a fifer at Trent Bridge. Uh, well, in 78, he started with two fifers in New Zealand, then got back home, took eight for 34 from 21 of the best against Pakistan in his first ever test performance at Lord's, as you do, so straight on the honours board in classic... Um, classic sort of beefy Botham fashion yeah. that's the same series where David Gower makes his debut as well at Edgbaston which we've told the story of before on this program as for Botham another six for at Notts six more at Lords when New Zealand play there later in the summer uh, then on to a rampaging Ashes smash up in Australia which I discussed recently in relation to Alan Lee's great book that I was reading over the summer there were no tests unfortunately that started on the 1st of September 78 which I would have thought was a, a cute way of making this work for KG which is a little bit Disappointing, But in other 1978 bits and pieces in England, Kent won the county championship despite not having their World Series Rebels, Alan Knott and Derek Underwood, at their disposal. And then I had a quick, just in case, at Test Match 1,978. That was in November 2010 between India and New Zealand at Nagpur. No, we're going in February, I believe, Jeff, according to reports. Mm. New Zealand, this is an absolute shocker of a test match. I doubt anyone saw fit to revisit it again, but this is story time so we can do these things. Uh, New Zealand all out for 193 with Hunt Sharma taking a fourfer. India 566 for eight declared with Javid 191. Clearly didn't want it enough. Um, 573 minutes in the middle. And didn't get to raise his bat for a double ton. What are you doing, Rahul? Then second time around New Zealand, bundled out for 175 so they were smashed up by an innings of 198 so there you go round the houses a little bit on 1978 I might have pulled the right thread there maybe not uh, we'll find out let us know KG and we'll, we'll have a another swing at something slightly more precise on a revisit special coming your way I was going to say soon probably in January at some, <laughs> some point given how busy we are at the moment
0: well KG the beauty of story time is uh, you can send us a message if the number's not right we will look at it again you can do it on the chat page uh, via the patron You can you can do it in the DMs However you choose to do it Get in touch with us um, And let us know And we'll do our best To come back to do it Do it however
1: you want to do um, it
0: If you want to play Storytime by the way Really easy Patron.com Slash the final word And then you can Send us through Your number You sign up You send your number You decide how often You want to send it All the rest of it It's all in your hands Hi my name's Kate Cross And you're listening to The final word With Adam and Jack Gopal has sent us through $6.02 in USD. And, well, Adam, it's interesting you talked about Raul Dravid not wanting it enough. Not hungry enough, Rahul. (laughs) Because in the middle of 2002, that's when Raul Dravid goes to England. He's been before, but this is when he really goes to England. And I think it's worth... Pointing Could out, be a
1: stage show. Rahul Dravid
0: goes yeah, to yeah. Mrs England. Harris goes to Paris kind of situation. I haven't seen it, exactly. but I've seen posters for it, and I know that it's a movie where they were like, "Well, it rhymes," so uh, it's it's probably going to be good. <laughs> Don't know if that bears out. So at this point in time or or maybe maybe it's sort of up until the when Australia visit in 2001 for that famous series I mean Dravid's been around for a while he starts playing in 96 but he's not really rail Dravid at this point in time right like up until the Australia visit he does average above 50 but he's made almost all of his runs against New Zealand and Zimbabwe he's moved around the order he's opened he's batted three he's batted six that he hasn't they know that he's got the ability, but he hasn't completely convinced with what he's actually done. And then 2001 is really the point where he starts becoming Rahul Dravid. And I reckon the point where he finishes becoming Rahul Dravid is when he goes to England in 2002. He starts off first test match at Lord's, makes a very slow 46 and then a pretty quick 63. 63. As India lose that test, they're chasing about 500 in the fourth innings. They make nearly 400, um, so they put a a creditable performance together. And then first innings, Trent Bridge is out cheaply. And then the second innings, he bats nearly six hours, makes 115, saves the game after England have had a huge score when they've batted in the second innings of the match. So he's up and away, uh, goes to Leeds, makes 148. That's the first... uh, in a sequence of three centuries. Tendulkar makes one, Ganguly makes one. But it starts with Dravid at first drop. All of these innings are batting at number three. India get a 600-plus total. They're able to make England follow on, and they win by an innings. Uh, This is notable, this 148, because in trying to get to the coveted 150, the milestone that everybody craves, he's outstumped for the only time in his test career, Rahul Dravid. Ashley Giles gets him, lures him down, Somehow, um, and, and it's the only stumping that Dravid ever allows a bowler to take when he's at the crease. So then he goes on to the, the fourth and final test. England bat first, they make 515, and the Indians decide that they're not going to be able to find a way to win the test from there, so they should try to draw the series, and so they do. They bat. And they bat, and they bat, and Dravid walks out to the crease in the fourth over of the innings after Saywag presumably does something stupid and then bats through until his seventh wicket to fall with a score on 473. He makes 217. He bats for 10 and a half hours, and this is the end of the series. This is where he really gets landed with the nickname The Wall because that is when you shall not pass during that fourth test match.
1: I just want to bring up here that we did our live show at the at the Seafarers last week, Jeff, and uh, at intermission, the question was put to us, who else is on the shit list apart from Verinda Saywag? And I'm like, I'm not entirely sure anyone else is on the Archie shit McLaren's list. Archie McLaren's on a, the a, shit a list. A list. of one. Yeah. We, Celebrity racist, well, Archie, Archie McLaren. McLaren. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, we, 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 have, we have spoken mm-hmm. to him, but I think we started it for Saywag mm-hmm. and his various comments about Glenn Maxwell. Mm-hmm. But the question put to us was that they wanted to catalogue all of our shit list mm-hmm. members. So uh, maybe that's one to work on through the course of the summer in, in more scientific fashion, because I'm sure we've said it a few times. Yeah,
0: and I think, you know, those those who are on the shit list but still living have the opportunity for redemption. Maybe they could get themselves off the shit list if they turned their lives around in the second <laughs> half. I don't know. But it, it's, it's not forever, um, unless you're Archie McLaren, in which case it is very much forever. But, yeah, probably quite a few more on there, depending on the day. So how does all this... Uh, Come out in the wash, end of the series. How many runs did Rahul Dravid make? 602. Our pledge number 602. Good. Only 11 players have made more runs while visiting England. Of those players, only Mohammed Yusuf and Steve Smith did so in four tests, like Dravid did. And even those two had seven innings. Dravid had six. So where he is on that list, everybody ahead of him played right. more innings to get ahead of him in terms of that run tally. And and it's also significant in terms of the result because to that point India had won twice in England, uh, once when Kapil Dev was going crazy and once when they had the the best spinners in the world in 71 or thereabouts. They'd lost 11 times, they'd never drawn a series. So for India to go to England and fight that out and make sure they drew the last test match and drew the series was significant in its own way as well in that Ganguly era and and it was all down to Raul Dravid who wanted it badly enough, I think you could say, with 602 runs in the series.
1: You go, pal, on your 602. Uh, next up we have Matthew Evans, 474, another free swing for me. now. In the end, this proves to be quite straightforward. There's only one test batter of note uh, with an average of 47.4 on the dot, and that's Archie Jackson. The reason it's on the dot is that he made 474 test runs and was out 10 times. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but I wanted to go via an absolutely batshit, brilliant, insane piece I found on the Raw when researching for this answer. Now, this is a guy by the name of Once Upon a Time, or that's th- that's their username, uh-huh. who has written a piece doing almost exactly as I would have done at a certain age. Maybe not these days. He or she, I'm assuming he, I don't know why, but let's, let's just go with he for the sake of the conversation today, is unhappy that Mark Waugh finished with a batting average test cricket of 41.81, frustrated that he doesn't receive the kind of acclaim that he otherwise might. I remember I put this... Into my cricketer essay, my, my favourite cricketer essay on, on Mark Waugh all those years ago. I, I suppose I'd call that my first proper kind of cricket writing piece where it was in a magazine and, and that kind of thing, where I went through a scenario where Mark Waugh retire after the 2001 Oval Test match and his average would have been 43 point something. So I, I'm sympathetic to Once Upon a Time's thesis. Mm-hmm. Now, what he's Was done- he
0: out the front of Jollymont, just by the way? Did you notice anyone else? In, was there another <laughs> car with an occupant waiting for yeah. Trevor Holmes? <laughs>
1: This this is my this is my kindred spirit. His objective here is to get Mark War above a test average of fifty. Now, and considering War played as much as he did, one hundred and twenty-eight tests to go from forty-one point eight one to fifty takes some doing. But he's allowed himself to mess with the universe with six rules, six restrictions. He can muck around with a maximum of eight innings. He can't alter the result of any match. He must ensure that minimal damage is done to other Australians' batting stats, both their aggregates and averages. He may not alter the team's score sheets to any opponent in the matches in which the aforementioned maximum eight Mark War innings were played. He may not touch Mark Taylor's immortal 34, 334 not out in any way. And he can retire Mark war early from Test cricket, but his finishing aggregate may not be less than his actual 8,029 <laughs> runs. Now,
0: so, so what we're saying here is that He's just got to find a shitload of junk runs for Mark War.
1: Well, and he does. very, And some of them are junk. I've gone through the article and I won't do the sure. whole thing with you. But what he does do is give Mark War. Remember, his highest score in Test cricket was 150... 100, oh, shit, I should know that, shouldn't I? Know? 173, whatever it was. No, 158. That's the one day, 158, whatever it was. He gives War. A 300, a 276, a 257, a 211 and an even 200. So five more doubles and, and a triple uh-huh. more than he actually hit in test cricket. And he gets him just to the cusp of 50 with all of that. So anyway, this is wild. I love it. We should get this guy on the show. Back to Archie. We've spoken about his death and his funeral a bit on the show, but not a not a lot about his test career other than the... Um, the debut at age 19 at mm. Adelaide Oval uh, in 1929 when he makes the famous 164. But yeah, when he, when he finished that series, he was actually seen as a better option for England 1930 than Bradman, remembering, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Bradman had only played four tests to that point. It was still... I know Bradman had a very good 29-30 mm. ashes, but it was a long time to wait for them to get another opportunity. And and when they did, um, of course, it was uh, Bradman who, mm. who absolutely took off and has an extraordinary series. Archie Jackson, on the other hand, um, had a slow start, then got ill, then played in the tour matches, didn't really consolidate his spot till the final test at the Oval when he got 73 um, as part of a 243 run partnership with Bradman, which for a long time was the record fourth wicket stand for Australia right. against England. And and the pair were always linked because of that time they came through together and where, they, where they'd where they come from, their, their origin story, and both being young guns, of course. He got 70 not out to start the West Indies in Adelaide and then a few low scores, but really that's it. Um, there's the, the tragic story of him coughing up blood in a Sheffield Shield game in 31 32 in a sign of what was to come, diagnosed with tuberculosis and, and part passing away uh, during the next summer in 1933 at age 23. But in the test matches that he did play, uh, there's those 474 runs were made at an average of 474 on the dot. So we'll we'll give that one to Matthew Evans.
0: Very good. Very good. Poor Archie Jackson. Um, Yeah, one of those stories that you just keep coming back to and and it keeps having that poignancy every time. Uh, We've got one more number in this brief story time because we do have a, a test match coming up and all the rest of it. And uh, more story time on next weekend, which is looming closer and closer. Graham Hartley with $6.19 in US greenbacks. Now, Adam, I thought – I just had this thought. I thought 6.02. I, I thought 6.02 runs in a series. That's what I found for Dravid. I wonder if anyone had 6.19. Guess who? Raul Dravid. <laughs> Here he goes again, 619 <laughs> runs in the, what a show in for the series in, uh, in Australia in 2003-04, which also links in to the Steve Waugh answer that we had before. So this doesn't, we don't know this is going to happen, but when all three of your story time answers link together, it's hard to resist going there. Worth Absolutely. noting that the 619 for Dravid is all built around the double hundred in Adelaide, doesn't make another ton in the series, doesn't want it bad enough, that's what I say. <laughs> he makes 92 in Melbourne And he's 91 not out in Sydney Didn't want it bad enough Could have, could have had three tons in the series Didn't want to do it How, how could you uh...
1: He doesn't want it I was screaming that at the Tunisian I was screaming that to the Tunisians on TV the other night When the Aussie defenders The Socceroos defenders kept clearing Like They don't fucking want it enough <laughs> Who wants it more? The Socceroos want it more. I love
0: that you're like, oh, I just don't understand that why I keep losing my voice. And then you're like, I was yelling at the TV at <laughs> three in the morning at and football.
1: <laughs> it wasn't three in the morning, to be fair. It was in, it was at a very modest time of the evening. I think it was about 9.30 or something. <laughs> it's
0: a better story otherwise. So the 91 not out is interesting because you can look at that scorecard and think, all oh, hard done by because it gets declared on. Um, Tendulkar's on 60 not out. They're setting declaration runs. Ganguly's the captain. Raoul Dravid is striking at nearly 80 in that innings, uh, which is pretty unusual for him. So he's cruising along, and it probably looks worse than it does because he gets after Stuart McGill a little bit late in the piece, hits a couple of boundaries, makes quite a few runs in the last two or three overs of the declaration. So, you know, he's probably on, like, 70-something, and it's probably fair enough to declare, and then suddenly he's on 91, and Ganguly's like, you know what, no, we don't have time for this. And, And in the end, they don't have time to bowl the Australians out, and they could potentially have declared a little earlier, but there's also a point on that last day where it looks like Australia might chase it. They're giving it a decent crack. They need about 440 from memory. Mm. So, you know, there, there's there's the 91 where maybe it looks unlucky on the scorecard that he got declared on, but not so unlucky. But maybe if he'd scored faster, maybe if he'd wanted it a bit more, he might have made more than 619 in the series. Um, the other player to make 619 in the series, Adam, you were chatting to... Earlier today on your uh, hype program with Barrett Center Race, and you were talking to Richie Richardson, weren't you?
1: We were, yeah. We did talk to Richie Rich. That was good. He was. Um, we had to cut him off, unfortunately, because he kind of didn't pick up his phone and it kind of all got a bit squeezed at the end and it was one of those ones when the, the news was literally about to start and I'm like, thanks to Richie Richardson. Speak in a sec. Bye. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Those rushed outs <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. feel oh, well. they're like running out the door trying to put yeah. your shoes on as you go well he he made a, he played when India visited in one thousand nine hundred and eighty nine he made a score of one ninety four one hundred and fifty six a ninety nine and a ninety didn 't want it bad enough could add a double and two other tons didn 't want it bad enough just just saying maybe wanted it too bad who knows and, and then the other the other six nineteen that 's probably worth throwing into the mix is Stephen Harmison at old Trafford in two thousand and six take six for nineteen against Pakistan. Yes. Gets both the openers, Imran Farhat, Kamran Akmal. I mean, you're probably not writing home about that necessarily, but a bit more worthwhile later in the day when he comes back for another spell and gets Yunus Khan and inzamam ul Haq. And then he gets Abdul Razak, a very good player, and wraps it up with Muhammad Sami, 6 for 19. And, you know, England beating Pakistan soundly in that sort of era, maybe not so significant on its own. But the second innings, and he's not going so well. He's got one for quite a few and hasn't. Hasn't uh, taken any in the top order, but he rips through the tail, takes four wickets through the tail to wrap up the game, and that means he finishes with five for fifty-seven, and that's his only ten-wicket match in his career. So that seems like a it could be enough reason for a six-nineteen to be significant to Graham Hartley that it helped uh, Stephen Harmison get his only ten for in a game, and it's in a pretty interesting series where. The first game's a draw, then England win two, and then Pakistan forfeit that last game. That's the ball-tampering accusations from the umpire Daryl Hare and the Pakistanis walk off the field and the umpires call the game as forfeited for England. And and what I didn't quite remember was just how far ahead Pakistan were in that game because they bowled England out for 173. They've made 504 themselves and they've got England four down and still 130-odd behind. When they decide to give it up, so I mean that's a, a potential test match win in England that they're walking away of on principle at, at you know in some arms outrage at being accused of ball tampering, gambling in this establishment, you know
1: unbelievable. I remember going back and I don't know what what was the what the reason for this was. I went back and read the Crick Info commentary, like the live commentary from from that guy. Andrew Miller as a as a young man uh, early in his Crick Info career was. Um, was on the tools that day. And it's worth a look uh, just to kind of capture, as you're saying, the bewilderment of all and sundry, like given how far away they, they were, well, how close they were rather mm. to to winning the test and uh, to have thrashed England at mm. the Oval. But instead, on principle, they um they left the field and they weren't to return. Well, maybe
0: it, maybe it means more as well in that way. Like if you're 500 runs behind and you walk off and forfeit, then your forfeit yeah. doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. Maybe doing it ahead was the only way to prove that you actually meant it.
1: And that's going to be the end of story time uh, this week. As we said at the start, it's a sort of a truncated version. We just wanted to, to drop a couple of yarns into the feed ahead of uh, what will be a, a pretty busy week for the final word. So we'll have a daily program tomorrow, about roughly 24 hours from when you're when you're having this drop in your feed. And then we'll have... We're going to try and do a story time for the weekend as well. That's a bit touch and go, but we'll give it our best shot. Then the daily shows will return, um, as they do whenever um, we're, we're covering Test cricket. Jeff will be with me in Perth from tomorrow. So that'll give us the chance to do daily shows every day of the Australia West Indies series. I don't think I'm missing anything. Is that everything, Jeff?
0: that's it. If you want to play nerdpledge, patron.com slash the final word. Check the show notes for that link if you want to sign up to to the Lord's Taverners mailing list to find out what they're going to get up to uh, over the next year and uh, otherwise. Heaps of shows in the feed. Keep your ears tuned. Um, Plenty of cricket in the summer to
1: come. Alright, that's story time. 114. We'll talk to you again ever so soon.
0: I had to go